The following Women's Spaces show was recorded on Monday, May 11th, 2020. The woman in your life will do what she must do to comfort you and calm you down and let you rest now. The woman in your life, she can rest so easily. She does everything you do because the Hello, everybody, and welcome to Women's Spaces. My name is Elaine B. Holt, and I'm your host. And with me at the board is my friend, my partner, my engineer, and co-producer, Ken Norton. Good morning, Ken. Good morning. Well, here we are live in the studio at Sonoma County, and it's a beautiful, beautiful rainy day. We sure need that rain. Hey, listen, I have a very special guest for this show. Joining me on the phone will be Dr. Kim D. Hester Williams, a professor of literature at Sonoma State University. She actually teaches African American literature from the early to the contemporary period. Additionally, where she teaches courses, she also teaches courses in ethnic literature. And I'm really excited. I met uh, I met Dr. Williams at the at an event at the Petaluma Museum when they were talking about Black suffragists. And we're going to talk about the feminist movement, some of the some of the changes, some of the things that need to happen. And I. I know it's going to be a very exciting and informative interview. Speaking of museums in Petaluma, I got a call this weekend and I found out that the museum is going to be opening and celebrating the 100th anniversary of when we got the vote for the 19th Amendment and that's going to be happening August 26th. I know it's a long way off, but I just wanted folks to have some good news. I mean, if things go well, it looks like they're going to have a big celebration and from my understanding they are going to honor uh, Congresswoman Lynn Woolsey and I am really looking forward to that. People have been working very hard and I know it's been probably rough for all of us. I believe we're going into almost our ninth week of the shelter in place and it's it's very intense, I'll tell you. Yesterday was Mother's Day and I, I haven't seen my daughter in probably five weeks and it was so wonderful to see my daughter and my son-in-law and my granddaughter and we had a wonderful, wonderful Mother's Day and then of course Zooming, Mother's Day Zooming and all the things that we try to do and and I read I read today in the Press Democrat this morning that, that some high school students actually had a prom over Zoom, and I'd love to interview them to see how they did that. I think it is very, very interesting. I mean, people are finding ways to cope. You know, this is really a, a... a difficult situation, but it's also an eye-opener. You know, it's also telling us some of the things that we have to correct in our country, and it's also giving all of us an opportunity to come together and support one another. You know, Ken and I, we walk. We walk every day with our dog, Rosie. And it's so interesting that we've been noticing that many people don't wear masks. And that's stunning to us. And we really want to encourage people to wear their mask. It's a way of taking care of each other. You know, it's not taking away your freedom. It's allowing you to be a good citizen and to take care of your fellow 
your fellow human beings. I mean, we're into a very tragic situation. We're trying to make sure that we don't spread the virus as fast as it could be spread. I mean, look, here we are in Sonoma County. I really believe that we are blessed. They've done an actually excellent job. But the reason it's been an excellent job is because people are willing to cooperate. And I know there are many people out there that are protesting. They want to go back to work. You know, folks, those who are willing to go back to work, let them go back to work. But make sure that you wear your protective gear. Those of us who want to stay, have shelter, stay shelter within, that's our right. But the most important thing is when you're out in the street, think when you wear that mask. It's not just for you. It's for your neighbor. It's for the person walking down the street with you. So it's just, just to be aware of it. Well, you know, our history is our strength. And, uh, you know, speaking of history... Uh, yesterday was Mother's Day, and like I said, it was a joyous Mother Day for me. I mean, I got to even see my great-granddaughter over a little Zoom. I mean, it was so thrilling, and she's such a little dancer, and I just looked at her, and I thought of all the children of the world they need to have. They need to have the same kind of love and compassion and good food and good air and all the good things it takes to raise a child. You know, every child is special. Every child is a gift from the Creator. And every child comes out of a mother, a woman. And that's very important to acknowledge that. So like I said, speaking of history, yesterday was Mother's Day. And to all my listeners, I want to wish you a happy Mother's Day and hope that you had as good a day as I did. But for today's show, for today's show, I'm going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to dedicate this show to a mother I know is deeply grieving. Now, how do I know she's deeply grieving? Well, uh, as many of you know, uh, I worked on the Andy Lopez situation, which was a young man who was shot. He was 13 years old. It's been almost seven years now. It actually, in October, it'll be seven years. It's hard, hard to believe that it happened. And I worked very hard on it. And one of the things, the questions that I always asked is, what did it feel like when his mother got the call and heard that her son was shot and killed? Well, my neighbor across the street, one day, actually the day on March 7th, the day that the pandemic, the shelter in place actually began, rings my doorbell. And I look and I open the door and there she is in front of me, my neighbor Nancy, with tears running down her, her face. The tears looked like they were two inches long. It looked like rain coming out of her eyes. And I kept thinking, Nancy, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? It took me 15 minutes to get that woman to tell me that her son had died in his sleep. I felt like someone had put a knife into my heart because I was I was within three three or four feet of her when I walked over and I put my arm around her I felt that her pain became into into my body and at that moment I said oh my god this is what it must be this is what it feels like when you get that horrific news about your child and it changed me it changed me in a way that I can't even explain But it also changed me in a way that I want to be more vocal about what is happening to young people across our country, especially young people of color. So I am dedicating this show to a grieving mother, Wanda Cooper. That's right. Her name is Wanda Cooper, 
whose son on February 23, 2020, Amand Avery, an unarmed 25-year-old African-American man who was jogging in the afternoon on a road in Salah Shores, Georgia, when he was confronted by two white men armed in a pickup, Travis Michael and his father. Can you believe this? His father and son and his father, Gregory McMichael. According to authorities, Travis Michael finally shot Aubrey. Well, my heart goes out to Wanda Cooper that this happened to her on this tragic day, especially around Mother's Day. And also, I want to acknowledge my friend Marnie Roth, whose son, Branch Roth, was killed. Tomorrow will be three years on May the 12th. And then also my friend Val Hendricks. Val, uh, I can never pronounce her name. I'm, I'm really sorry, Val. Her son, Jesse, who was also killed about maybe 10 years ago by law enforcement unnecessarily, just like this young boy. So we have to take a moment to think about what it's like for a mother to lose their son, especially in violence. When I think of my friend who came to my door, her son died in his sleep. He had a problem. He had a problem with his breathing. It was a horrible, horrible thing. And it's hard to reconcile, even when that happens. But when all of a sudden your child is shot in the street, I mean, I just cannot imagine, and I don't want it to ever happen to me or anyone that's listening or ever happen again. I just can't imagine what it must feel like. So here it is, Mother's Day, right? And Mother's Day is very, very interesting, that's for sure. You know, it's got a very interesting uh, history. Mother's Day was actually an idea that started in 1870 by a woman by the name of Julia Ward Howe, who wrote the Mother's Day Proclamation. And what was so interesting about this proclamation, it was written by Julia Ward Howe after her and a group of women, both Democrats and Republicans at the time, after the Civil War, went to look at the carnage. And what they saw, what they saw was arms and legs from ampu- that were amputated and looked around and saw these young men in horror. And they left and they said, we have to have a day of peace. We have to fight for peace. We have to work for peace. And Julia Howe wrote the Mother's Day Proclamation. And I'm going to read that. I'm going to read it to you. And I just listen to the words. It's actually a call to all mothers to join together and rise against war, against poverty, against unjust worlds and injustice to all. So let's listen to this. This is called the Mother's Day Proclamation. Arise then, women of this day. Arise all women who have hearts, whether your baptism be of water or of tears. Say firmly, we will not have questions answered by irrelevant agencies. Our husbands will not come to us reeking with carnage for caresses and applause. Our sons will not be taken from us to unlearn 
all that we've been able to teach them of charity, mercy, and patience. We, the women of one country, will be too tender of those of another country to allow our sons to be trained to injured theirs. From the bosom of the devastated earth, a voice goes up with our own, and it says, disarm, disarm. The sword of murder is not the balance of justice. Blood does not wipe out dishonor, nor violence indicate possession. As men have often forsaken the plow and the anvil at the summons of war, let women now leave all that may be left of home for a great and earnest day of counsel. Let them meet first as women to bewail and commiserate the dead. Let them solemnly take counsel with each other as to the means whereby the great human family can live in peace, each bearing after his own the sacred impess, not of Caesar, but of God. In the name of womanhood and humanity, I earnestly ask that a general congress of women without limit of nationality may be appointed and held at some place deemed most convenient and the earliest period consistent with its objects to promote the alliance of the different nationalities, the ambipical settlement of international questions, the great and general interest of peace. That was the Mother's Day Proclamation written by Julia Ward Howe in 1870. I just think it is it is just an amazing an amazing thing to write this. In the name of womanhood and humanity. In the name of woman and humanity. They want us to disarm, to find a way to live in peace in this country. And there has to be a way. There has to be a better way. Because if we don't find that better way, guess what? We're not going to be here as a species. And a friend of mine and I were talking, and he even said to me, he says, you know, maybe human beings just can't get it. They just don't know how to live in this planet. Maybe we're going to be like the dinosaurs. The only difference between us and the dinosaurs, the dinosaurs were, were, were gotten rid of or were destroyed by a catastrophe, you know, I believe it was earthquake and just different changes that happened on the planet. We're doing our own demise. We're hurting ourselves. We're harming ourselves. And there's a lot to think about. And Mother's Day it's a beautiful way he has to celebrate with flowers and candy and wonderful dinners and hugging mom and thinking how great she is. I mean, no no one wants to take that away. I mean, I, I, I enjoyed it to the max. I mean, they brought us little desserts and everything. But as mothers, we have to think. We have to think of who we are. We've been endowed by our creator to bring forth life. And I don't care what religion you are. I don't care what color you are. I don't care what town you live in. A woman is a woman, and every one of us give birth in the same way. Of course, some have cesareans like myself, but the general principle is there. A baby grows in our body, and we give life. We must stand together for that life. We must stand together with women like 
Wanda Cooper, who just lost her son. We have to say enough is enough. We're not going to go here anymore. Well, that's a lot to think about, but that's what Women's Spaces is all about. We got to think about things and we got to say, well, how can I help make some changes? What can I do? Perhaps just being a little bit more compassionate and a little bit more understanding and find out a little bit more about the facts about what's going on. Maybe that might be the first step. And the second step is, you know, tune into Women's Spaces. I can't wait till I have Dr. Williams on. What a wonderful, wonderful conversation we're going to have. And we're going to talk about issues, about race issues and about women's issues, how we can come together and how we can be better people. Well, we're going to take a musical break. And I want to, again, I want to dedicate this beautiful song to Wanda Cooper and to all the mothers, all the mothers who are sad because of the things are the death of their children. And this song is called For the Mothers, and it's sung by one of my favorite groups, Betsy Rose and the Women's Choir. The song really, listen to it. You know, I play the full songs because I really believe each song has a lesson. But this song is a prayer. It's a prayer for the mothers. So let's go ahead and listen to it. When we return, I will be spending the rest of the hour with Dr. Kim D. Hester Williams, a professor of literature at Sonoma State University. She also teaches African-American literature from the early to the contemporary period. And we will be talking about feminism and its impact and changes that are happening today. I sing for the mothers all over the earth For their power, for their love I ache for the mothers all over the earth For their sorrow, for their love May their broken hearts be cradled May their righteous anger be Pray for justice and healing for all of the mothers all over the earth. I sing for the mothers of soldiers at war, for their power, for their
confess tears coming down my eyes when I listen to that song and I think of what Wanda Cooper's gone through with her beautiful son being shot like that or I think of all the other women that lose their sons. It reminds me of a, a John Prine song uh, he wrote called uh, it's called it's a kind of a reference song he's uh, talking about a young an older couple that in their whole life and there's one song you know he talks about his the children and he says, "I lost. They, we lost Davy in the Korean War. I still don't know what for. And I think that's what the Mother's Day proclamation is all about. War makes no sense anymore. Well, welcome back. For you just joining us, you are listening to KBBF eighty nine point one FM, Calistoga, Santa Rosa. I want to remind my listeners the opinions expressed here are not necessarily the opinions of KBBF, its board of directors, its members, or." Women's Spaces. Well, welcome back. You're listening to Women's Spaces, and I'm your host, Elaine B. Holtz. And without further ado, I want to introduce my guest. Joining me on the phone is Dr. Are you there, Kim? Dr. Kim yes. Hester Williams, who is a professor of English and American Multicultural Studies at Sonoma State University. Welcome. Welcome to Women's Spaces. Thank you very much, Elaine. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I hope it's okay that I call you Kim. Yes, absolutely. Oh. Please do. And, oh, I mean, my goodness, Dr. Dr. Williams, it's just wonderful to have you on. And is this okay if I tell my listeners just a little bit about you before we uh, go on to the interview? Absolutely. Thank you. Dr. Hester, excuse me, Dr. Kim Hester Williams is a professor of English and American Multicultural Studies at Sonoma State University. By the way, my um, 
alma mater I graduated Sonoma State. She currently serves as chair of the American Multicultural Studies in addition to teaching 19th century American literature, African American literature and culture, and is an affiliate faculty in film studies and women and gender studies at Sonoma State University. She is a co-author with Leo uh, I hope I pronounce the name right, Nisham of Racial Ecologies, a book of collections of interdisciplinary essays on race and environment, published by the University of Washington Press in 2000, 2018. Her poetry is grounded in a long tradition of African-American womanist poets. She is currently an active member of the American Canyon Optimist Association, and she takes great pride in emerging her teaching, scholarship, and research about racial and gender equality with her commitment to community service, social justice, and enacting equitable, sustainable society in both personal and communal practice. Well, what a resume. And I'll tell you, when I read your resume and some of your publications, I'm going to put everything online so people can actually see the rich background you have. Is there anything else that you would like to add, Kim? Um, I just want to say it's pronounced Leilani Nishimi. Okay, um, good. She, she gets that all the time. So please don't, don't, don't worry. But I do want, um, to give, um, definitely want to, um, honor and the collaboration that I had with Leilani Nishimi. It was very much a womanist collaboration to put together racial ecologies with many other, um, very dedicated scholars in that collection. And it's the American Canyon Seroptimist society and i those sisters and they call themselves sisters <laughs> um are definitely to be congratulated for their work um both internationally and and of course locally well, it's really interesting. I just started finding out about the Seroptimist, you know, that, that what a powerful organization it is. So thank you so much for sharing that. It's very important. And I got to tell you a little story. I have a reputation <laughs> for the, not pronouncing names right. So I'm so grateful that you, you did correct that. Before we begin, let's talk. I'd like to talk a little bit about yourself. What motivated you to choose your particular areas of interest? And what are some of your hopes as you pass along all this valuable information and encouragement. I know when I first met you at the Petaluma Library and you did the uh, presentation on black suffragists, I was just so impressed with all the information that I received and all the knowledge that I had no idea about. So talk about how you became motivated and what what, what started you on this path. Well, first of all, Elaine, I want to just congratulate and uplift you for always talking about the importance of history. Um, the answer to your um, question about my own um, my own journey is really grounded in history. My grandparents were sharecroppers in Utahville, South Carolina, and they worked very hard to um, make a life for themselves and for their children and grandchildren. And I became very curious about their lives and about um, the history of African Americans. My own life seemed to be grounded and definitely shaped by the sacrifices of my ancestors, but also just the history of um, race in the United States, race and gender, um, which are two topics, uh, categories of identity um, that I that I teach and that I talk about and that I think about a lot. So I began with um, taking literature classes at 
uh, the junior college, and I actually, um, West, I grew up in Los Angeles. My parents um, moved from, they migrated from the South, as many African Americans did from the South to the East, to Boston, and then um, eventually ended up, my mother and my stepfather ended up in Los Angeles. And Los Angeles was a very interesting um in the 70s when I was growing up, it was very a very interesting place to be because it was the moment where busing um, was happening, where the, they were um, instituting um, voluntary busing programs. And my parents believed education was very important because, again, my grandparents believed in um, rising yourself up and uplifting your community and doing all that you could to be the best person that you could be for your family, but also for your community. So education was a big part of that. And my parents enrolled, uh, my brother and I, in the busing, in the voluntary busing. From So we were bused from Los Angeles proper all the way to San Fernando Valley. Oh, you're kidding. A, which was an hour bus ride from one way, you know, so two hours a day of riding on the bus, getting up very early to be um, uh, to school on time. So that was very formative because we were bused to um, communities and to schools that were uh, affluent. Well, you know, and that, it, you know, I just wanted to say something here. It's amazing listening to your story. And when pe- people of privilege, when they don't have to go through this to get education, they have to take a moment to appreciate how difficult it is for some people to get what they need. I mean, it's really amazing and how amazing these programs were at this time that they allowed things to happen like this where you could go to other schools, where your parents could make a choice for you. I mean, how important that was. It was It was uh, critical. That, that decision changed my life. Of course, I didn't know at the time, and we certainly complained about having to get up so early and having to come home late. And I have must add that the communities at the time didn't want us there. They made that very clear. I will never forget the first day um, in junior high school when uh, we arrived on the bus and there was the epitaph um, on, you know, um, sort of graffiti on the wall, go home inward. So um, I, it, wasn't, it wasn't welcomed, but after a while, and I think this is the success of busing and integration, after a while, we, there was segregation at first, everyone sort of at lunchtime being with their own particular racial group, if, uh, if you will. But after a while, I became involved in student government, and I was friends with white students who I never would have met or been friends with had it not been for busing. So that was the beginning of my interest in not only um, education and and the value of education, but also learning from people who are different than me and actually encouraging people who are different from me to learn also from me, to have a reciprocal relationship. So that, um, and I, I, again, I went to the West L.A. Junior College I took literature classes and became very interested in literature. And the combination of literature and stories and storytelling and my personal background with my grandparents being sharecroppers and southern southern parents um, and grandparents and the history of African Americans in this country, basically that's the story of how I became who I am and interested in the work that I do. 
What a beautiful story. And the bottom line is, the bottom line is, is that opportunities were opened up at that particular time and people have to recognize that that we have to open up opportunities for young people well you know what i do and let me explain this to my listeners a little bit what i do is i have my guests send me five questions and this gives me an idea of of who they are what they're interested in and one of the questions was very very interesting you talked about a woman by the name of october octavia butler and i looked i looked at her and she's called the grand dam of of science fiction and what's so interesting I looked her up and I thought what a fascinating woman I mean I've never heard of her before but what I would like you to do is talk a little bit about her as the beginning because I think she had a great influence on on what you were just talking about and what were some of her ideas and some of her predictions that you felt were very important and that people might be interested in knowing well, Elaine, this is my favorite topic of all time. <laughs> and, um, and, of course, I wouldn't be alone. Octavia Butler is wildly popular in science fiction and just in in women's literature, um, in, in, in African-American literature. She's definitely the grand, uh, a grand dame of many areas um, of interest, including science fiction. Um, she was born, she was raised in Pasadena, California. Um, and she, what's interesting about Octavia Butler is that she started writing when she was 10 years old. She was an only child, um, who was, who was well loved, uh, and nurtured. Um, but her parents, um, she saw her parents and her family and her uncle, people working in this, um, very, again, uh, upper echelon, um, neighborhood and community where they were caretakers. They were, people who took care of the yards, people who took care of the homes. And that made an impression upon her, um, as it did me. And she began thinking about, you know, the differences in the lives of her family and the lives of the people who lived in the homes that her family took care of. Um, And she started writing science fiction at age 12 and um, studying at the um, Pasadena Pasadena, excuse me, City College, and then entering into science fiction workshops, writing workshops. And um, for her, people like Isaac Asimov and fiction uh, science fiction writers of the 50s and 60s, um, shows that we all love like Star Trek, um, were, were interesting and fascinating to her because they were worlds where people imagined the future and what the future could be. They imagined themselves in, in, in different situations where the possibilities were endless. Um, and she took that genre and she really embraced it so that she could imagine worlds where African Americans and particularly African American women were empowered, were, were heroes, heroines, um, where they had agency, where they took control over their lives and most importantly, where they were able to um, help build more just communities. And that's really, science fiction for her was just a world of possibilities and a world of power and empowerment. So uh, that, of course, appealed very much so to me and appealed to many, many. I I have never had a student complain about an Octavia Butler novel. Well, I... 
I really want to encourage my listeners to go on the internet and look this woman up. First of all, she's a beautiful woman. I'm very strong looking and also very, very interesting to find out. And also, it you know, it, it's unusual from what I'm understanding when I was reading some of her bios. It was very unusual for an African-American woman to be writing science fiction. So she, she kind of stepped up on many, many levels for people. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. She she was the first really um, uh, there were other African-American um, science fiction writers, Samuel Delaney. And so, again, your point is well taken as far as her being a black female, right, a science fiction writer. And she said she wrote um, that science fiction wouldn't become more appealing and more relevant to African-Americans until African-Americans wrote the science fiction stories. Um, and she also was asked once if she was a feminist, and she said, well, if you think, if you are asking if I believe it, in women having equal rights and being respected in the world um, and, and, and equality for women, um, then yes, I guess, I guess I'm a feminist. Well, so she took those two things and she combined them to, to write stories, you're right, that we had not ever seen before. Well, we, we can segment into the next topic that that which is a whole interview is going to be about is a talk about your definition of feminism i mean it's so important and it's a word that is just tossed around i mean i'm watching this uh this uh, movie series mrs america and i'm just amazing that you know feminism the word feminism is almost classified as a dirty word you know and and and, and, and especially it's important today to understand it and also there's a new a new idea in the women's movement and I hope I pronounce this right because I'm really as a Caucasian woman I am really trying to hang on to this and also I'm realizing through my own experience in life how important it is that generations understand generations. You know, be, when a new generation is coming up, they have their ideas. You have to you have to come and understand them. And the word is intersectionality. How is that influencing feminism? How is that happening today? I know this is a big question, but I know you can handle it. Well, it is a big question, and you're pronouncing it perfectly. Um, it's probably one of the most important concepts in feminism if feminism is something we can think of as being all-inclusive or as inclusive as it should be. Um, and it, it's a term that was coined by Kimberly Crenshaw um, and uh, in, the, in the 90s, and it was a, a term that she used to talk about the many, the multiple ways that black women in particular were um, uh, impacted by oppression systemic oppression, economic oppression, um, certainly racial oppression, gender oppression, and of course class oppression to go with economic, um, you know, oppression to think about sort of um, the ways in which class um, is a category that subjugates women, that women are, are black women are impacted by um, all levels of systemic oppression in specific and particular ways, well, ways wanna, that need to be attended to. I so wanna, that that 
that's the that those are the, that's the origin of that term. I just want to interject something. It's it's interesting. I interview a woman. Uh, she comes on every about every three months. Dr. Harriet Fraud. Uh, she's a clinical psychologist and also a feminist and also a, a socialist uh, in her own right. And one of the things that she talks about constantly is that the uh, the, the the movement in the seventies as it came along, the uh, the issue of class was never really addressed and that's why this is uh, this is to me as i read this i see how important it is to expand the idea of what the women's movement was all about so would you agree with that absolutely it it has to be expanded because to your original question what is feminism people often think about feminism as being something where you are excluding men for instance um that you you are um you know criticizing men and manhood and male culture. Um, but that's, that's not an accurate def- definition of feminism. Feminism is a critique of power, of systems of power that oppress all people, including men. And feminism really is not about hate as much as it's about love. And it's about embracing everyone in a community and giving everyone in a community equal opportunity and equal access. It's about about what you talked about earlier with, of course, the origins of Mother's Day being um, one where it it was a critique of war and it was a a lens in which, um, you know, the pain and the trauma of war was put on, right, to say this is not the way we want to live our lives. This is not the, the way that we can thrive as human beings. To Octavia Butler, back to Octavia Butler, What makes her really a feminist science fiction writer is that she's looking at how do we thrive and how do we, how do we survive? Because there's a lot of post-apocalyptic, right? Um, you, you know, stories that she tells in a situation where we're dealing with trauma and we're dealing with pain and suffering and we're dealing with social injustice. How do we address those things so that we can have a better society, a more just society, a more equitable society? How can we make sure that everyone is living a life where they can they can be happy, where they can thrive, where they can live their full um, up to the, their full potential? So that's really one of the things I think that makes her such a popular writer, and that's what feminism is. It's about everyone understanding that we are interconnected, that we are connected to one another. We are not just sort of separate entities all going on. Self-interest and um, possessive individualism will not help human beings to live to their full potential and to survive. So I would say that's, that's my definition of feminism, and I think that's the definition of feminism. Although I will also add that feminism is, is about embracing um, differences and intersectionality is an important concept in that. It's about understanding that we all are different and that we need to embrace those differences and we need to get away from fear and competition and um, a destructive kind of, of sense of, you know, if I have something, then you can't have it. Well, I want to throw something in here. Yes, we are all different. 
we look different. We come in different colors, different sizes. We have two sec, you know, different sec, all kinds of things. But I'll tell you something. One thing we have in common: we all need toilet paper. You know. <laughs> so I yeah. mean, let's get down to the reality of it. We are human beings, and we need to learn to live together in peace and harmony. Because if everyone prospers, everyone prospers. I mean, it's it's just so. I really believe that the definition you gave to me was so beautiful and so clear that I really want to thank you for it. And we're going to take a few moments now. We're going to do a, a, a little musical break here. And there's a song that I want to play. It's called Sending You Light. And the reason I'm playing this song, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting song, but I want to send light to the world because I want people to open their hearts and to listen what is being said. Because there is, only, there is only one way to live, and that's to live with one another. Because we're all we're all stuck on this planet together, folks. We can't go anywhere else. So we gotta learn. And this is a very important topic. So let's go ahead and take a little bit of a break here. It'll be about a, a minute break, about a minute and a half. We'll just play half the song. It's called Sending uh, You Light, sung by again, my one of my favorite singers, Betsy Rose in the women's chorus. Are we on, Ken? Yeah. We are sending you light and we are sending hope that one day that we all come together as women and hold hands and say, disarm, disarm. Well, welcome back. You are listening to Women's Spaces and I'm your host, Elaine B. Holtz. And on the line with me is Dr. Kim D. Hester Williams, a professor of literature at Sonoma State University. And we are continuing our conversation on feminism and its impact and the changes that are happening today. Well, you know, we're in the middle. And welcome back, Dr. Kim, and welcome back to Women's Spaces again. I mean, this is just such an 
such a wonderful interview. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with me. And let's talk about what feminism and social justice looks like kind of during this pa- pandemic period, especially these times, you know, where there's, where really it's the, it's right in front of us, the economic inequality. I mean, it's, it's, it's so obvious now. It's, it's, it's almost, it's really painful. And also the rise of racism, anti-Semitism. And, and this attack on the justice system, talk about that. And, talk, and also, of course, the right to choose, you know, abortion and all those issues. Talk about that and, and what your thoughts are. Well, uh, I'm so tempted to say, you know, feminism told you so. <laughs> oh, go ahead. Yes, feminism told you so. Yes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wag my finger. <laughs> yeah, that would make a nice shirt, wouldn't it? <laughs> But, um, I, yes, I, you know, we, we have known for a long time, those of us who've been practicing feminism, um, those of us who have been in the, the trenches, if you will. Um, one of the things, again, that you pointed out, um, that I just want to highlight is that violence, um, and, um, and extract capitalism, um, colonial, uh, capitalism, um, and, and just this, 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 Greed and this again possessive individualism has has really brought us. Um, it, it's not so much the pandemic that has brought us to the brink um, of of this this um, situation where people are uh, out of work, where they have you know um, they're they're in such despair, they're suffering greatly. Um, the suffering is not really the, the certainly the the amount of death. That the pandemic has brought is 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 horrible, and it's um, it's nothing for us to to take lightly. Um, we we must take it very seriously, and we must definitely never forget the lives that have been lost during this time. Um, but there are a lot of lives that have been lost throughout this, you know, um, the history of this this nation, and really the history of patriarchy that we also need to recognize and. Even while a pandemic is happening, um, anti-blackness um, and racist acts of hate and violence um, are still occurring. And they're occurring because of patriarchy, because of extract capitalism, because of the sense of white supremacy, um, the belief in the superiority of one race over another. Um, that one people des- are more deserving than another people and than other people, I might add. And so this is something that feminists have been talking about and, and discussing and critiquing um, for ages, really ages. And now we see that um, having, I, I think of, um, you know, Octavia Butler's novel, Parable of the Sower, in which there is debt slavery and there is gender slavery. And she predicts, and by the way, that novel is taking place in 2026. She, she wrote the novel in the 90s. Oh Kimberly Crenshaw wrote about intersectionality in 1989. Octavia Butler's novels come in the mid, the, the post-apocalyptic parable series comes in the mid-90s and is predicting what will happen in the 2020s and the 2030s. And here we are. Here we are. With the very things that she talked about in that in, the, in that novel series, um, with people with extreme violence, with senseless violence, which we know we're experiencing, and with the idea of debt slavery that she talks about, where people are indebted to corporations. 
they literally become slaves to corporations. And so I don't know what how what you would say, um, the parallels that we could make, seeing today that people's entire livelihoods and their their quality of life, their entire sort of sense of being in the world is tied to what? Corporations. But you know it money. Rem- you know, it it reminds me of the story of the three little pigs. You know, one house was built out of straw, so it blew down. Another was stick, so it fell down. But when you built a house made out of brick, it, it didn't blow down. We we have a, a our economy, you know, when people think the pandemic car- created this, they don't realize that we have a weak economy, that what we're yeah. standing on is not strong at all. So when something like this hits, it's all of a sudden, pew, it just falls apart. And that's what's happening right now. And it's, and, and I believe personally, I think it's a good thing because now we get to really look at, we get to really see, I mean, our lives are in danger. I mean, we are shelter in place because we're afraid. I mean, I'm a, I'm a senior citizen. I'm afraid. I don't want to get sick. I don't want Ken to get sick. You know, I don't want my children to get sick. You know, it's, it's a, it's another type of crisis, but it should be a crisis that brings us together and lets us look at what is going on. Why is this happening? What is, what is really the motivation behind it? And I love that word you called it. What possessive capitalism? Is that what you call it? Possessive individualism. Possessive individualism. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I think you see that a lot, you know, in, in especially now with the way they're they're jacking around with the justice system. You know, it's just like all of a sudden these are the people of privilege, you know, and unfortunately, but people have to recognize that most of the faces that you see happen to be Caucasian faces. And you have to ask yourself, why is this happening this way? So it's ve- those are very, very important points. And you know, time goes by very quickly. And I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you something that <laughs> put you on the spot. I would like to do a part two to this interview because I, I have these other questions that I think are really burning. And I'm wondering if you would be open to that. Of course, I would love to, Elaine. It's a pleasure to speak with you. No, I, I just think I just think what we're talking about. People have got to understand. I mean, I'm, I, they've got to understand what, especially women, because you know we are the majority. <laughs> you know, and they, we yes. have, we have to start listening to this. So we we've got about four minutes left, and what what I'd like to just end 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 this segment in is to talk about what do you believe the feminist movements and activism past and present are contributing today what are some of the things that that you believe have to change or how can women become more empowered because i think the most important thing that has to happen is we have to heal the division we have yes. to feel the division between color, the whole idea that not having, you know, if you have children, you're not a feminist, and all that other garbage that is all mixed into it, which really has nothing to do with it because we need to come together. So can you can you just talk a little bit about that? And then it looks like we're going to be coming to the end of the show. I mean, time goes by fast when you're having it fun. Does. It does. Um, I just think that solidarity, what you just spoke about, is it's crucial. And um, again, I will end with saying that in the parable of the sower, Lauren Olamina, once her home, her gated community is destroyed and she sets out on a journey to try to um, figure out how to survive in this post, uh, you know, apocalyptic world that she's thrust into. Um, she finds other people and she finds people of different races and people of different, you know, gender and you know, sexual, you mentioned sexuality, you know, earlier. 
what she does in order to survive is she builds community. And Octavia Butler said the very first thing she does when she sits down to write a story is she thinks about community. That's what feminism has to offer and has offered. Um, hashtag Me Too. If we think about even Black Lives Matter, which was started, by the way, by three women, this is all about community, not what we do for ourselves. The most important thing that we can do for this planet is not what we do for ourselves, but what we do for and with each other. What a beautiful way to put it, you know, and, and also and also one of the fantasies I have that hopefully one day we just join in a circle and just have it out, you know, let it, let us know our feelings and, and then come together as women and come together in the name of peace. Well, Dr. Kim Hester Williams, this has been an absolute delight and the, I'll tell you, radio time goes by so quickly and I will give you a call and we will arrange because I want to do a part two on this. I think this is a very, very important subject one that we need to get out on the airlines more and more and more. Well, Absolutely. And th- thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank you from the bottom of my heart. Well, folks, thank you. That's our show for today. Uh, I want to thank Dr. Kim D. Hester Williams, a professor of literature at Sonoma State University. She teaches African-American uh, literature from early to the contemporary period. Additionally, she's affiliate faculty uh, in the American Multicultural Studies Department and teaches courses in ethnic literature. Wow, what a what an interview this has been for me. A reminder, tell your friends Women's Spaces will be aired again tonight at 11 p.m. on Monday evening. I'm so excited I get to listen to my own program. Also, I am available for speaking engagements, and if you have any announcements and want to, you just let me know. This is Elaine Behold. You've been listening to Women's Spaces. Thank you so much for listening, and I look forward to being with you the next time. The woman in your life is you. Previous Women's Spaces show was recorded on Monday, May 11th, 2020.